Uh, well, today's Mother's Day. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, as a community, we are here to celebrate and to say thank you uh, to the moms. Um, if you walked in here, if you woke up today like really excited that today is Mother's Day, then this is a community that's here to cheer with you and say, yes, God, with you. Uh, but also, if today is a complicated day for you, uh, we as a community are here to see that and honor that. Um, maybe um, maybe you, you are someone uh, called mother, and that's been a challenging experience. Maybe it hasn't gone the way you thought it would, the way you hoped it would. Um, maybe you're a, a woman who's gotten the impression from sit- situations like this that like, your only and best calling in life is to be a mother, but maybe you're called to other things, and so we affirm that. Um, maybe you're son or daughter, and the word mother um, is a really hard word. Uh, because of your experience of that in your life. So um, we are here to rejoice with all that's worth rejoicing today and uh, to name and respect all that can be um, painful or difficult about today. Uh, We've been uh, in a series um, speaking about the image of God, um, that the first word in Scripture is that we are bearers of the divine image, that the Scripture grapples with what that um, affirms in us, but also what that critiques in us and the ways that we haven't lived up to that image, the ways that we have misused our power or um, failed to honor that in one another, right? And so even as we speak of the affirmation of Scripture, we want to hear the challenge of Scripture for what that's actually inviting us into. And as a community, um, by the way, this entire conversation brings us back to Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, who is uh, saying to us as his disciples, I actually want to walk with you. I actually want to teach you how to live in the way of this image. Uh, Now, to do that, we need to get clear on what God is like, right? Like, that would be helpful. Uh, Because to say that human beings are made in the image of God doesn't mean we affirm everything that human beings think or do, right? And there are moments where we need to get clear on how does Scripture describe the character of God that we are here to emulate. And it's interesting how often the Scriptures actually reach for metaphors and images of mothering to describe the character of God. So let me just sort of make my case. Just a few places where the scriptures uh, speak of God in, in the images of mothering. First of all, in the book of Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy, uh, you have a text that is, is describing to Israel what their life with God should look like now that God has led them out of their slavery and into a freedom. This is what your life with God will look like. And in the book of Deuteronomy, you find an awareness uh, right out of the gate, which is you will be tempted to walk away from this. You will be tempted to forget this. But let me remind you, God is saying, let me remind you of how I've been faithful to you so that when you're tempted to not be faithful to me, this story comes back to you, right? So this is in Deuteronomy 32. And here we see the name Jacob. That's both a name of a person in the story generations back, and it becomes a name for the people. And here God speaks. In a desert land, or God here, God found Jacob in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up her nest and hovers over her young, that spreads her wings to catch them and carries them aloft. Or how about uh, the book of Job? The book of Job is a book that grapples with suffering, with intense suffering in the world. And it asks questions about how it is that God um, can allow that kind of suffering. It doesn't give neat and tidy answers, uh, but there's a moment where Job brings his protest to God, like, how could you let me suffer like this? And God essentially says, uh, you are entering into a mystery that's a little bit bigger than you. And to make that case, God speaks of his own creative work in the world. And uh, it's interesting there, you read uh, this. From whose womb comes the ice? 
Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Uh, how about uh, from Isaiah? In Isaiah uh, 49, we're at a moment in, in Israel's history where they've been exiled. Uh, they're hundreds of miles away from their home and uh, after suffering an embarrassing military defeat. And they're actually now going to be allowed to return. So they're looking at a long, difficult walk home. And that's good news, but it's going to be long and difficult. And when they get home, they're going to be returning to a decimated homeland that's been destroyed in that military defeat. So that's, that's what's in front of these people when Isaiah 49 is being written. And God is speaking to them, I'm trying to say, like, I'm going to be with you in this. You don't have to wonder whether I'm with you, especially when it's hard. But uh, God speaks like this in Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Like, think of the tenderness that a mother has for the child that she's breastfeeding. Think of that tenderness. And then though she may forget, I will not forget you. Like, imagine the fidelity of a mother to her child, the intensity of faithfulness that a mother feels to that vulnerable child that's breastfeeding there. Imagine that. And then recognize that God's fidelity and tenderness is just sort of unimaginably greater than even a mother's toward her nursing child. Or uh, in this story of Jesus, um, in Matthew 23, Jesus is... Um, speaking uh, prophetically to the people who have missed the fact that the kingdom of God is looking them in the face when they see Jesus. They've missed the way of the kingdom and they've missed the king who's right there in their midst. And so he's speaking to them and he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent, sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. So, uh, so the scripture uh, finds a lot of fruit in naming um, the character of a good mother as a picture of the character of God. And this Mother's Day, we wanted to both um, celebrate uh, all of the moms in the room, and we wanted to also um, consider the experience of being a mother as a touch point on the nature and character of God. And so to do that, uh, I'm going to share with my, my experiences of mothering. No, that's a... <laughs> No. Um, I thought I would invite a friend and teammate up here. Stacy Borst is our children's ministry director. And um, as Stacy and I were getting to know each other in the interview process, and now that we're working together, we spent a lot of time talking about her understanding of God and her experience of God and the way that following Jesus has been woven into her life. And it just strikes me that when you talk to Stacy about her experience of God, you often also get her experience as a mother and how those two are so deeply connected in her life. And so I asked Stacy if she would just come up here and share some of the stories that she's been sharing with me. Uh, you guys wanna welcome Stacy Borst? <laughs> guys, come on, she takes care of all of our kids. It's like, yeah. Thank you. Hey, Stacy. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stacy, you wanna introduce us to your family? We got them on screen. Yes. So this is an old picture. They're much taller now. Um, but on the left is Tate. Uh, he's my 16-year-old son. He's driving. Um, and he is a hockey player for Riley High School. Go Wildcats. Any Riley uh, people in the house? Any Riley people? Oh, okay. Go Riley! Um, <laughs> that, yeah, that was you. That was the key for me. you. That's Woo! right. Yeah. Um, I love watching him play. It's so fun. Um, next to Tate is my oldest daughter, um, Jaden. She is 18. She is graduating in uh, the first week of June and from high school, and she will be moving to Chicago to go to North Park University. And I am so excited. I, I don't know what North Park's 
mascot is, but go North Park. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then next to Jaden is Binyam. Uh, Binyam is almost 11. Uh, he is so bright, he can make a killer apple crisp. Oh. Killer. Um, and he is crushing me in a chest match that we have going. Um, we're playing the best of 50. The first one to 50 wins. Um, so this, it's been going on a while. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the, the first one to 50 wins um, gets to decide where they want to go out to eat or what they want to do. And the score right now is about 30-something Binyam, 10 mom. <laughs> so um, I'm happy when I actually win. Um, on my lap in the picture is Gemma. Uh, she is the youngest of our family. She is eight. Gemma is, um, she loves to listen to music. If we turn on music on Pandora and she gets her little microphone, she will be there for hours <laughs> dancing and singing. Um, she has a very tender heart. Next to Gemma is Liberty. Um, Liberty is much, has changed a lot from that picture. She's t- way taller than me now. Uh, she's 14. And Liberty is um, a quiet spirit, but at the same time, um, I go to Walgreens with Liberty to pick up a few things, and I turn around and look at her, and she's like, mm, 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 mm. she's dancing in the, she's got some moves. I'm like, Liberty. And I can't decide if I can, like, get it together, or like, ooh, that's cool. <laughs> I can't decide. Um, and then on the end is my husband, Matt. Uh, he, we've been married 20 years in June, um, and Matt is uh has the same free spirit of liberty and i feel like he grabs me by the hand and he's like let's go for life and so Mm. um someone with a more timid spirit i really appreciate that yeah it's a beautiful family and adoption is part of your family story tell us how um you guys found yourself uh moved toward adoption yeah um i'm thinking it was 2007 when matt and i we went to south africa Um, We thought we were going to move there to work with an organization called Reaching a Generation. Um, They were going into um, some neighborhoods where um, HIV and AIDS had affected the community. And um, they were going there to spread some truth about how that was spread um, in their communities. Hmm. And so uh, we went there. We told our family we were moving there, uh, which we didn't end up moving there. But um, it was a great trip for us. On one of the days, we went to a town called Rustenburg, and um, we went to this home. I, I'm saying maybe maybe 40 kids there, ages zero to four. All of them um, were HIV positive, and um, we played with the kids. We had fun. They were full of life and energy, and they came up and were giving us hugs and kisses. And as we were getting ready to leave, I asked one of the aunties, uh, I said, so after four years old, like, where did, where did they go from here? And uh, she just looked at me and she went. And um, hmm. it was that shrug that really went deep into my heart. And I didn't know what to do with it. And Matt and I came home and we were just processing, like, could we be an answer to that shrug? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just want to make sure we all heard that. Four years old is the end of that orphanage's care. Yes. And the, the question is, when they're four yeah. and they're done here, where do they go? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so adoption's been a part of your family story and a part of your work. Um, tell us just a little bit about uh, Village to Village and what you guys have done there. Yeah. 
Um, so when we came back from South Africa, um, we started we started thinking about adoption and specifically international adoption and specifically to Africa because of what um, our experience had been. Um, but there was a financial barrier that Matt and I were going to have to cross and we yeah. did not know if we could cross it. Um, adoption is really expensive. Yes. Okay. Um, there's a lot of legal fees. Um, there's a lot of like child care fees you pay once you commit to a child and you pay um, for the child care until you can meet that child. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of good fees that are set in place to protect the children, but we just didn't know if we could walk through those doors. Um, so we just kept taking the next step. After we had adopted though, we came back and we're like, we wanna help people that are in our shoes that say, I don't know, I just don't have the financial resources. And so we started a nonprofit called Village to Village International. It started with that heartbeat, but um, it's grown into so much more. Um, I'm really excited to see where it's going, but we do training for foster and adoptive families. Um, we're working on creating a community for kids that age out here in the US. Um, so I'm just excited, it's, we're just dreaming with it. Yeah, so you guys, um you sort of you respond to the sense that part of what your family is is called to be is um, including adoption, um, but as you guys uh, follow that calling, you run into some fears along the way. Um, even one night in particular, just sort of having a, a panicked moment. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, we were we had already completed our first adoption. Um, which, you know, sometimes when you do things the first time, you're excited. You're like, yeah, you get yes. a little extra adrenaline yeah, going. Yeah, you're like, ooh, yeah. this is exciting. Like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to do this. Um, but with our second adoption, um, I was a little bit more realistic. Um, and we were planning to adopt two kids at the time from Uganda, which would mean we were going to be going from four kids to six. And um, I woke up one night, and I really felt like, something was squeezing my heart. Um, mm. I was having a panic attack, and um, my legs were tingly, my mm. face was tingly. Uh, Had you I, ever experienced something like that before? And not like that, not to that extent. Yeah. Um, it, it just felt like my physical body was shutting down. Mm. And I grabbed the, the only thing I knew that had hope for me at that moment, and I grabbed my Bible and I ran into the couch and I was like, God, I need you to meet me here because I can't do this. I cannot walk this journey. Um, I don't have the capacity to do this. And I opened up my Bible, and I just, I just started reading. And it was in Isaiah 40. Um, and it was this verse that, it was as though it jumped off the page. It was just one of those um, very specific moments where it says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And it was that last line that mm. stuck out to me. It just jumped out and it, my fear melted. Mm. And I thought, you're gonna lead me in this. I'll keep going and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna be there and I'm not alone. Yeah, um, as you and I have talked and as I think about um, my own journey and I think about friends, there's like a, a mega theme in scripture and I think in the life of following Jesus, which is, you're gonna get called into some difficult things, mm -hmm. you're gonna face some fears, some challenges, yeah. and it seems like so often what God is doing is meeting us, um, like calling us out, yeah. 
and then meeting us in a moment of fear with a reminder of God's presence. Right. That, like, that's a really reliable pattern in Scripture and life. Like, and it may take a while to find that reminder, I know. Um, and even as we're talking about parenting, to me, parenting is like a subset of discipleship, right? It's one of the very focused ways that if, if you are a parent, you find yourself um, called to follow Jesus in that work. Right. And I think about the end of Jesus' time with his friends in Matthew's Gospel, where uh, he's been with them for three years. They've enjoyed this like, really intense communion with him. And he's about to leave them in the sense that they've had him with them. He's not going to be with them in the body anymore. But he also says, I'm calling you out now. You're going to go to the end of the earth. You're going to make disciples. You're going to teach people this way of being human. You're going to invite them to surrender to my kingdom. And he says, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. And it's like his, his final words is, I'm with you which seems really important when you're gonna find yourself parenting <laughs> or uh, loving your neighbor or going to work or making um, yourself vulnerable or talking to a counselor or working on your marriage or like whatever the thing, right? right? right. Um, and I'd love that you had that very particular kind of reminder from the scripture mm -hmm. in that moment. Uh, you've had other chances to be brave in your mothering journey. Um, tell us about Uganda. And give us the backstory we need to appreciate this moment. Yes, I will. Oh, and I feel like what you're off, off of what you just said, my whole life has been like that. It's yeah. been stepping out and God meeting me there. Yeah. Um, and so in Uganda, that, that's this next story I have to set up. Um, in 2007, my husband and I decided together that we would get a motorcycle. Um, <laughs> I say together because he really wanted one. And um, he, he really likes to go fast. And I, <laughs> and I thought, this could be fun. Like, I can try this with you. And so um, we bought a motorcycle, and we were going to go out on our first ride on it. And um, so I hop on the back, you know, I'm feeling like, ooh, this is fun. I'm grab on tight to him, you know. Which is why I think Matt bought the motorcycle. <laughs> I think that's true. He was like, hang on. <laughs> and... Um, we start driving around, you know, kind of, we, we lived in town, so we're kind of going on the town roads, and I'm like, this is great. I like riding a motorcycle. This is great. And it was like 25 miles an hour? 25 yeah, miles okay. an hour, you know, like, oh. Yeah. Then we hit um, the highway, and Matt and I hadn't talked about how you ride a motorcycle, <laughs> and so we hit the highway, and Matt just guns it. He's <laughs> and he, we're off, and we were going around this lake, it was called Sailorville Lake, and there's a lot of curves around it. And so Matt's, I mean, it's, it was his dream. He's just, <laughs> and I, the whole time, I am holding on tight and I am just rigid, like. And finally he, he pulls over and he looks at me and he's like, baby, you have got to lean with me around the corners. You, <laughs> if I'm going this way, you have to go this way. You can't pull on, you know, hold on straight. I was like, okay, I'll try. So I couldn't do it. Um, I could not do it. We tried a couple other times to ride the motorcycle, and finally I said, Matt, have fun on that thing. Go fast, have fun, come back. Um, but I'm not going to do that. So now fast forward uh, to 2012. We were adopting our youngest daughter, Gemma, from Uganda. Um, and we were taking our whole family over to Uganda because the process in Uganda is it's a long process. And um, they had said a minimum of three weeks you need to plan to be here. So um, we fly over to Uganda. And um, we, the first thing we did was we met with the lawyer. 
And the lawyer said, so tell me about your um, return flights. When are you planning on returning? And I said, well, we're planning on returning um, three weeks from now. Um, I will go back with the other four kids at three weeks, and, and Matt will stay and finish up the adoption process. Because there were families there that were staying for three months, six months, eight months. Some cases were going to Because you just don't know, right? You just, just don't know. Yeah, okay. um, they were really trying to make it an ethical process. And, um, and so you, you just didn't know. Um, so the lawyer looked at us and he said, that's not going to work. He said, he can't stay with a little girl in country. You have to stay. Hmm. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, okay. I can stay. And so we switched our tickets out and um, arranged for Matt to go back with the kids at three weeks and for me to stay. So um, the next three weeks, we enjoyed Ugandan culture. It was lovely. It's a beautiful country, beautiful people. Um, went through a lot of the legal tape we needed to go through. And at the three-week mark, we still didn't have um, Gemma's visa. And that's the last step. Mm -hmm. And that's where the holdup usually comes because they're just finalizing everything. And so... Um, that night, Matt and the other four kids were loading up in the van. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and I was, we were standing in the driveway of the guest house. And um, my youngest two, I remember, were just sobbing. They were five and eight at the time. And they're like, Mommy, when are we going to see you next? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, we said our goodbyes, and they drove off and flew back home to Chicago. And Gemma and I stood there, and I cried. And I thought, oh, man, I really wanted to go with them. I wish I could have sped up the process. But um, I also wanted what was best for Gemma. And I knew that the, we needed to wait it out. Mm -hmm. So I prayed and just said, God, are you here with me? I, I need to know I'm not alone. And um, we went and got back in our bed under the mosquito net. And I just prayed and said, please give me bravery when I wake up. And... Um, so we woke up the next morning, and we moved to a new, a new guest home where there were other families there, so I, w I wouldn't physically feel alone. And um, I actually got a call that day saying, your visa's ready. Um, you can come get it. And so I was like, wow, that was such a surprise. I didn't know it was going to be that fast of a turnaround. Matt hadn't even landed in Chicago yet. And um, so I went to the guest house uh, owner, and I said, could you give me some transportation, please, to, to the embassy? She's like, yeah, sure, It'll, they'll be here in about 10 minutes. I was like, okay, sounds good. So um, about 10 minutes later, she calls me. She's like, Stacy, uh, your ride's out there. And I said, okay. So I get the baby carrier, and I put the baby carrier on, you know, and fasten it all up. And I get little Gemma, who was only two at the time, but she was a tiny two. And I pick her up, and I put her in the baby carrier. And I walk out there. And there's Peter with his Boda Boda, which is a motorcycle. <laughs> and I was like, no way. I can't even ride with a man I know <laughs> hanging on. And now I have a baby strapped to the front of me. <laughs> and so um, in that moment, it was just like, all right, God, you are with me. Yeah. I can be brave. And I hopped on the back. And um, I said to Peter, 
Peter, please go slow. I don't know how to lean on these things. <laughs> and uh, he just put down his shades and kind of smirked, like, <laughs> here we go, lady. <laughs> and uh, I grabbed one yeah. hand onto Gemma and one hand onto the back of the bike, and we rode away. And that's it. I, um, I love, like, you kind of have to laugh, right? Because <laughs> what else are you going to do? Right. Yeah, yeah, I had no other choice. Wow. Um, one thing that I... Uh, really appreciate about you, Stacy, is when we talk about your faith and when we talk about your life, um, you have this like non-performative hmm. thing that you live in. Um, you seem to have made peace with the idea that like the real you mm-hmm. is um, the best one to give the world. Right. And um, it's through that that I know just even as, as a friend and as a teammate, I get to get challenged in, how, in, my own, um, in my own faith, in my own life, mm-hmm. by your willingness to share s- some of that, you know? Um, a lot of parents I know find the parenting gig to be high pressure. Right. And I, I know parents that um, are wrestling with an imposter syndrome. I know moms and dads who are afraid that the, the worst kept secret in town is that they're not really cut out to be a mom or a dad, that their family life isn't Instagram worthy, that um, they run into the limits of their own maybe skills or attention or character or something, and there's a real fear there. Right. Um, but we want to be a community that like n- names how we're all sort of working it out together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you shared one story with me uh, from your experience as a mother, where it's like a moment you weren't proud of, right. um, but you shared it as a moment where God's grace really helped you. Mm-hmm. Can you share that with us? Yeah. Um. We had just moved into a new town. It was back in, uh, it was actually 2000, around 2004, actually. Um, we moved to a new town, got a new job, got a new house, had a new baby. So we had a lot of transition going on. And um, we were setting up our home and inviting some guests over into our home. Um, this is what we like to do. And it was a day where Matt had said, just go, go uh, spend the morning, go shopping, find some things for the house, and enjoy yourself. And as moms, you know, sometimes you just need that break, you need to get away. And so I had spent the morning out and about shopping, and it was about noon, and I thought, I should maybe go check on Matt and the three kids, because we were still getting adjusted to three kids, you know, a baby and a four-year-old and two-year-old. And uh, I thought maybe I could take one of them with me, uh, one of the toddlers with me to the store for the afternoon. So I stopped at home, and they were playing, having fun with Dad, and they didn't want to come with me to the store. They were like, no, we want to play with Dad. So I said, well, Matt, how about I take Liberty? She was our newborn baby. Uh, She slept most of the time. She was easy to take around with you because she was in that sleeping all day phase. So... I was like, I'll take Liberty. So I took Liberty and put her in, the, um, in her rear-facing car seat in the back and um, headed out to the store. And on my way, I'm, I'm thinking of all the different places I want to go, um, kind of checking off my list in my head and, and realize one store is about ready to close. So I make a, a quick turn into that store and get out and run in real quick to see if I can find some things and get done with that. And um, head over to another store and get out and the, the temperature was about 70 degrees and it was in May so Liberty was only two months old and um, I had my windows rolled down and got out and ran into the next store and where we lived you could leave your car like that you could leave the windows down while you run into stores 
So I ran into the store, and I was in there maybe, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half. And I come out and um, ready, ready to head to the grocery store. And I um, put my car in reverse, and I put my arm up on the passenger seat to look over to make sure I don't run into anybody. And I look back, and I realize um, there's a car seat in the car that's been in the car the whole time I was shopping. And it was one of the worst feelings I've ever felt. Um, I got out of the car. I was crying. I went over to Liberty because um, I couldn't see her face. And I went over to her, and she was sound asleep. And I picked her up, and I just started crying. And I got into the passenger seat with her and was holding her. And I was like, I'm so sorry. What have I done? Um, and in that moment, um, the greatest shame, a blanket of shame was just over me. And God met me there because I heard a quiet voice say to me, I'm here not to condemn you, but to help you. Now go and raise, raise her. And um, she started squirming. She hadn't eaten, so I needed to go feed her. And um, I put her back in the seat and I, I drove off. What had happened two weeks earlier in our town is a mother had been in the same situation I was in. Um, her situation when she was much less fortunate because the, it was a warm day and she was out of her routine taking her child to the babysitter and she forgot to take her child to the babysitter because she didn't usually do that and she took her child to work and um, forgot her in the car. And that mom, um, it was on the news, and I had, I had seen it a couple weeks earlier, and she was being charged, um, criminal charges, because her child had, had died in the car. And I had said in passing, as I was listening to the news story, I'd said to Matt, how could you do that? Huh. How did that happen? How do you forget a child? And then two weeks fast forward, and there I was, mm. and had forgotten my child in the car for several hours, and um, it was just that moment that God was saying, this is personal between me and you, and, and I'm here to help you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Stacey. Mm -hmm. um, at one point in your family's life, you guys moved to Chicago, mm -hmm. and um, like when, maybe when you heard um, Stacey's stories of, of Uganda and adoption, it sounds kind of exotic and adventurous. <laughs> At one point, you guys moved to Chicago for an adventure of sorts, yep. and you moved to a really diverse neighborhood yep. um, with the sense that out there in the neighborhood, there's a lot that you're called to and a lot of adventure waiting for you. And at the same time, um, you find yourself uh, not out there because of what you're called to in the moment. Um, tell us that story, and I'll give you this okay. as you do. Yeah, we had just moved to Chicago, and um, we had just um, brought our son, Binyam, into our home. Binyam was two and a half when we met him, and he was born in the very um, beautiful and culturally rich um, country of Ethiopia. And at two and a half, um, there was a lot of transition for Binyam, coming from a very warm country to a 
Chicago in January. That alone was enough to keep us inside. Um, but I would, uh, there's something we talk to families about with, when we do the trauma training for adoptive and foster families, and it's called felt safety. And I didn't realize what that meant at the time. Um, I knew Binyam was safe in our home. Binyam didn't know Binyam was safe in our home because we were strangers to him. And he was two and a half. He had lived a little bit of life to know um, how, his, how his world had worked. And so we were struggling finding a pattern of sleep, uh, let alone jet lag, let alone um, just time zone differences and all of that. Um, we were finding tr um, trouble sleeping. And I've asked Binyam if I could share this story, and he, he said that was fine, so I am sharing it with permission. Um, but what Binyam enjoyed a lot was books. And that was a way for us to connect, and it was a way for him to feel safe. And one book he enjoyed in particular was Brown Bear, Brown Bear. And it Anybody was, know this literary tome? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes. Um, and so many times Binyam would finally, his eyes would finally close at midnight, and at 4 o'clock, he was wide awake again. Like, mm. And he would sometimes grab this book and bring it to the mattress that I had laid in his room. I would lay on the floor, and he would bring it to me, and we would read it. And a lot of times, I would read it like this. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. Brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I see a red bird looking at me. And the next page is the red bird. Red bird, red bird, what do you see? I see a yellow duck looking at me. And the story goes on like that. We kind of get the pattern. <laughs> yeah, you get the pattern. You want me to keep reading? <laughs> um, but I like to read. I like to read to my kids. I like to read expressive. Um, and Binyam liked this book, and he would get excited about it. But when all you do is sit inside and read a book for five months, um, I was a little bit losing my expressiveness and my desire to read Brown Bear. Um, we would try to go to the park, and it was a little bit overwhelming, let alone it was chilly. Um, and then we would try to go to the grocery store, and that was a little bit overwhelming. Um, There's just so much sensory intake. And um, so we were just trying to create a safe place inside and develop a connection between the two of us. And so this book was read a lot. Well, one day, um, Binyam had woke up early, and I was kind of crabby, and he brought me this book. And I sat down to read it, and I was like, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I see a red bird looking at me. Red bird, red bird, what do you see? It's a yellow duck looking at me. <laughs> and it was in the midst of that that there was a whisper to me that said, this is divine. Now, I knew it was the voice of God because I don't use that word divine, and I was not feeling divine. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was in that moment, I sat in that for a little bit, and I thought, God, you see me right now. You see what we're going through. You see Binyam. You see the transitions he's made, and you see what he's going through. And you're here with us. And while there's a world outside that I would love to get to know, getting to know this little guy right now and creating a safe space is divine. Yeah. I love that. Um, I love that for all the parents who feel like their world has gotten as small 
as whatever room they're parenting in. I love that for anybody else in your work or your neighborhood where you just feel like things have gotten mundane. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe part of what God wants to say is, if you're loving well and following me in this, then this is divine, Mm -hmm. yeah? Um, Stacy, thank you. Will you guys help me say thank you to Stacy? I also really appreciate the chance for you to get to know her heart a little bit as she uh, is leading our children's ministry. It's nice to know who's behind all of that, right? Before we go, um, we're going to just offer a prayer with one another um, to name this day a little more. So if you're able, will you stand to your feet? And uh, Dan will lead us in this. Would you join me uh, when we get to the parts in full? (laughs) To the mothers in our midst, we celebrate you. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we share your joy and excitement. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day, we see you. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we appreciate you. To those who have lost a child, and this day is incredibly difficult. We mourn with you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we grieve with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. To those who are stepmothers, foster mothers, and godmothers, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who have lost their mothers, we grieve with you. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We love you, we honor you, and we are better because of you. God, thank you for teaching us through the mothers in our midst. Please bless, guide, and strengthen them through Christ. Amen. Uh, As you go today, um, a member of our community uh, dropped off some roses. I'm not sure if there are many left, but if they are, they're right by the door. Um, If you're a mother, uh, we'd love for you to take one. Or if if you know a mother uh, and you want to take one to give to them today, uh, please feel free. And then we'll part with our usual words to one another. Grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys.